Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Welcome back, friends. Okay, now you have to swallow. <laughs> Why are you like this? You married me, honey. I know. You I shaped know. me into the man I've become. <laughs> did I? Or did I just a, have to a accept it? <laughs> You've well, accepted me into the man I've become. That's true. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode. It is our fantasy episode, which I think I've mentioned before is going to be kind of our catch-all category, and I think that heartily applies to the movie we selected for our fantasy movie this week, and that is Equilibrium, circa 2002. Oh, yeah. It's got Christian Bale in it. I'm going to look up all the actors, because it's got more people in it than you think. Yeah. Oh, I did not type it in. It's got Sean Bean in it. Surprise, Sean Bean dies. That's not even a spoiler at this point. Right. It's Sean Bean. Of course he dies. Yeah. It's got Christian Bale as our titular character, John Preston. Tay Diggs. Ty Diggs. Tay Diggs. Wasn't he the it guy of that time period? I don't remember anything else he was in. Oh, he was married to Idina Menzel from 2003 to 2014. Wow. I'm going to look it up because he was in stuff and you know it. You just don't know you know it. Gotcha. He was in Chicago. He was the band leader in the Chicago movie. Okay. It's been a while. Yeah. You were singing it the other day, but yeah. And okay. I don't have your encyclopedic memory of <laughs> characters that I've seen in movies for the last 30 years. Okay, well, that sounds like a personal problem. Uh, he was in the house on Haunted Hill. Nope. Equilibrium. Then okay. immediately following yeah. that, he was in Chicago. Mm, I mean, he's been in episodes of stuff. I feel like he was always one of those people that you thought was going to be bigger and should have been bigger, but didn't end up being bigger. You know what I'm saying? He was a voice in Doc stuff. <laughs> of course. I just know. I set myself up. I just lined up the pins and you just knocked them down. Boom. Yep. He's been a voice in a lot of stuff. Ada Twist scientist. Anyway, he's in it. And now I have navigated myself away from equilibrium, so I have to go back. This was I a like direct this movie. This was a direct to video release. Oh yeah. I know you know how I know Matt likes this movie? Because we were kind of waffling. Do we do Waterworld? Do we do Ladyhawk? I don't know. Let's just see what's available. And then this one popped up and Matt goes, Ooh. Oh yeah, that one. <laughs> he goes, ah, that one. That one right there, that one. Yeah, this was a direct-to-video release, which in the time period of 2002 is about the same as saying it came a out on streaming. A death sentence. No, it came out on streaming, oh. basically. Yeah, a sure. death sentence. Yeah, because you hadn't seen it in theaters. It was never released in theaters. And when thing came, things came out straight to video, you kind of assumed there was a reason. Right. They went straight to video. I would not say that that is accurate in this case. Actually, the reason they released it straight to video is because it had already made a profit overseas. And they didn't want to risk it bombing and them losing right, the, money. The cost of releasing it in theaters in America yeah, might be more than they make back in America. Right. So they're just net Yeah, net they profit. were like, meh, it's all right. And is this not a time capsule of that early 2000s moment where everyone was like, martial arts guys, they're a thing. We should probably lean into this. Everything. Martial everything. arts, everything. Martial arts, everything. In this case, it's uh, it's like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon had a baby with the Matrix. And it's this director invented this. Um, Jeremy Weimer, isn't mm -hmm. his name? He invented this. It's called the gun kata. And he uses it in this. Which a kata is a set of movements. Right. As part of a martial art. Right. And he invented it and he uses it. In this movie, and he also uses it in Ultraviolet, which mm -hmm. is his pseudo-vampire movie that comes out shortly after this. But I guess the choreographer in charge didn't quite like the way he had it, the way he had done it. So he wanted mm. it to be real fluid, like oh, all gotcha. the movements flow from one to the next. And the choreographer felt that if you were using guns, you had to have like pauses. So it had to be Right, more... you had to stop in a position to aim. Right. Yeah. But we'll get more into that because... It's, this movie's wild. I love this movie. 
If you have not seen this movie and you want to just listen to the podcast, I don't think there's spoilers. I mean, there's spoilers, but I don't think you could spoil this movie. I mean, it's going exactly where you think it's going, but it's a fun, wild ride the whole time. But in the meantime, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. The movie opens with text and voiceover. Two Combo. of my two of my favorite things. In this case, is it necessary? Kind of, not really. I feel like this is a world we live in in a lot of sci-fi movies, which is our post-apocalyptic humanity came to the point where we literally couldn't cope anymore, so we just gave up emotions. Right, and sometimes that's it just happened. Like everyone is kind of psychologically broken. And so they just don't process their emotions. No, I cannot hear you chewing. Rachel's chewing, by the way. Yeah. So we tried to go Vulcan, basically. But in this case, everybody takes medication. Prosium, which is supposed to be a joke. It's supposed to be a combination of Prozac and Valium. Uh, They were going to call it Librium because the country they live in is Libria, but it turns out Librium is already a copyrighted drug name, and so they couldn't use it. Ironic. Ironic. Uh, And we're mostly what they give us is our verbiage, our word for what um, Christian Bale's character is, because he's a grammaton cleric, and he serves the tetragrammaton, which I was reading. Which is an organization. Yeah, it's the government. Which I was reading is actually a word, and it means four letters, tetragrammaton, Mm -hmm. and it's used for Yahweh, because in Uh, Jewish culture, yeah, in Jewish culture, Jewish, yeah, you can't name God. God is nameless. And so you just use four letters to represent God. And so it's Y-H-W-H or Yahweh. So it's supposed to be the government has become God. That's why they call the government leader father. Right. And... Father's will is law. Father's will is the law and the letter. I love how this movie was like, you know what? Our premise is pretty fucking ridiculous. And we could go halvesies with this, or we could just lean the fuck into it, and it could be awesome. Right. They don't have to tell the story. It's it's the typical, like, fiction, fiction thing. We were talking about it the other day. Someone was complaining, like, this scenario is so implausible. Oh, oh it was the Animorphs one. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they just happened to be walking through the construction site at the same time that this alien prince's ship crashed in the same place. Yeah. And that happens a lot. Uh, Drew Hayes talked about this in one of the Q&A sessions on one of their Authors and Dragons episodes. And he's like, this is a like contract between the author and the reader that there are a million variations on what is what could happen. And a lot of them are very implausible. But it just so happens that the most interesting scenarios are generally the least plausible. Right. And this book is about the interesting ones. Right. So take my a, hand. It's walk completely with me on this. fine to start the movie with an acceptance that, okay, yeah, this is unlikely, but here we are. It's interesting, and that's why we're watching or reading this story. Yeah. About what it. would happen in the very unlikely chance that this set of circumstances led you to this? Right. So the world had World War III shortly after the turn of the 21st century. So we're like right on track. Pretty much. Um, and then we decided that, well, fuck all that noise. We're not going to do that anymore. And the only way we can not do that anymore is if we all take medication every day and it keeps us from being dicks to each other. 
And yeah. so we came up with this social contract that no one will have feelings. And if you do, you are a sense offender because you have feelings. Too many. Fe- you're sensing too many feelings. Right. If I have a complaint about this movie at all, it's that it, they were really having a difficult time acting as if they had no emotions. Right. Very often we get it. The only person who is consistently straight-faced is Christian Bale. Everyone right. around, and that may be intent, that may be purposeful. Everyone around him seems more intense than he does. Seems more passionate. Seems like they have emotions, especially um, Tay Diggs' character. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Brant, I think is his he's name. He's like the most emotive character in the whole movie. Right. And yet he's supposed to be just like Christian Bale. He's supposed As to, good as. Yeah. And so we opened on a pretty, they were like, okay, you know what? We've set you up. You know what world you're in. Are you ready? Because here we fucking go. And so they are in the nether, which there's a big city, a big walled city in which most everybody lives. And then there's an outside part. There's a slums, effectively. And they call it the nether. Right. And this is not an alternate dimension with lava and stuff in it. (laughs) No, it is not like the Minecraft nether. Thank you, honey. They are in the nethers. It's the outskirts, the abandoned outskirts right. of the old city. Yeah, and they're out there to take, there's a resistance. There's an underground resistance, and they are trying to root them out and kill them because... And they have strong feelings about everything. Well, the resistance does. Yeah. Yeah, because nobody else has any strong feelings about anything. And one of the things they're doing is destroying artwork because things of beauty encourage people to want to feel and we don't want that. Right. Great art invokes an emotional response in the viewer. Right. This is the future that Herner Fortzog is uh, hoping for. us. <laughs> Everything's beige or white or neutral. Everything. Uh, and we got to make sure we keep it that way. So we got to find everything and burn it. And so they're out there to do this. And so all of these... All of these uh, sense offenders are holed up in this room. And so there's soldiers lined up around the outside and they all point their guns all around the the door. door. Yeah. And then Christian Bale does this run at the door. They all fire at the door to break it open as he jumps on it. They they shoot out the hinges and the latch while he hits the door with his knees. Yeah. And, and rides the door like a sled right. into the middle of the room. And they all fire at him. But one of the things about the gun kata is there is only, there is a predictable way that a gun battle will go. And if you know the kata correctly, you don't get shot because you can just dodge out of the most likely angles of fire. And it's dark in there. And so he just waits. And we have this long, long, long shot of just darkness it's good i like this and then it's quiet it's black and it's quiet and then you start hearing whispering yeah did we get him where did he go where did he go i didn't see him and what he's doing is waiting for everyone to reveal where they are because then we get the photo flash gun battle which looks great visually this movie i love it straight up there's like 239 deaths in this movie and Christian Bale's character, John Preston, is responsible for like 119 of them. And I think maybe 45 of them are in this opening sequence. <laughs> because there's one where he's shooting and we're getting the photo flash. And there's a person getting shot in the center of the screen. But every time it lights up and they get shot, it's a different person. So you're literally seeing like, flash, someone shot, flash, They're someone shot. They're all swarming flash, at him shot, and he's shot. just shooting them faster than they can get to him. Right. It's wild. And it's basically like, okay, you guys got it. This is the movie that you're watching. So if you're okay, we're going to do that for the next hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, they set your expectations yeah, pretty, pretty clearly. Yeah, pretty high. And we immediately find the Mona Lisa, which as Matt points out, every single time we watch this movie, I tell him, that's not what the Mona Lisa looks like. It's smaller and it's on a wood panel, but that's okay. Um, and we burn it. With some dramatic music playing over the background and Sean Bean looking sort of sad in the background, almost as if Sean Bean is feeling sad. And about one of this the artwork. things I like is when you have someone in the frame who is feeling something, generally, because nobody else is feeling anything, you're not interested. In what other people are doing, 
because you don't have strong emotions about the other people. So very few people are actually like looking around at other people. Yeah. And so the person who's feeling an emotion is generally in the back. They're in the frame, but they're behind everybody. And then everybody's attention is focused on where close to where the camera is. Yeah. So they can have their emotion on screen, but not be noticed. Right. By the people around them. And we actually do this thing where at the very beginning, even though we start out with quite a bit of violence, there's not a lot of blood. We're not getting right. blood it's mist. Clean. We're not getting yeah. like blood spray. Um, and actually, as the movie goes on, the amount of gore intensifies because the character's perception of what they're doing intensifies. Because right now, John Preston doesn't care because he doesn't care about anything. That's the whole point. But as time goes on and he gets more and more in touch with his feelings and he gets more and more in touch with the violence that is part of his day-to-day life. He's aware of the significance of the violence. Yeah. And it becomes a more intense experience for him and it actually becomes a more intense experience for the viewer as well. And that's deliberate and well done. And why was this movie released only on video? This movie is good. This would have been amazing in theaters. Yeah. Can you imagine that scene with the darkness in a theater? Would have been super cool. Because you mm-hmm. would have been sitting there in the dark in the theater. Waiting. It's long enough that you're like, did something happen to the video? Right. And that would have been really cool. And then we get kind of a deliberate scene. Where he goes back and he's reporting to his superior. Who's the head of the monastery. The head of the clerics father's right-hand man. Right. And he asks him, you know, what happened? You have kids, right? You're a family man. He goes, yeah, I have two kids. Okay, well, what happened to your wife? Oh, yeah, she was incinerated four years ago for sense offense. So his wife is dead. She was literally burned alive. And he's like, yeah, okay, she was burned alive four years ago. Because we're really hammering home that when you don't feel anything, that's the kind of stuff that doesn't matter. And when they get back in the... Oh, we did miss the part where they get back in the car and Sean Bean has a book in his pocket. Oh, yeah. And he has this slim little Yeats poetry book. Yeah. And John says, well, didn't you want to leave that? Why didn't you leave that for the evidence collection team? Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, I'm going to turn it in personally. They miss little stuff like this sometimes. And this is important because we're going to use that same exact dialogue again later. When John Preston is in... um. I forgot that his character's name, uh, Sean Bean's character's name, was. Oh. Starts with a P also. I will look it up. I should have written it down. We need, you know what we need? We need a board like Kate has a board. Mm-hmm. Errol Partridge. Partridge. Okay. Yeah. So when Preston is in the same situation later, as Partridge is in now, he learned from Partridge's um, excuses for things. Yeah, he just recycles the excuse. There's no reason not to. Yeah, it because, worked on him. Yeah, it worked on him. He was like, oh, I'm going to turn it in personally. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, cool, great. You know, every time we come out to the nether, it reminds me of why we do what we do. It does? <laughs> yeah, and Errol Partridge. That's what tipped him off. Yeah, he goes, it does? And John Preston's like, excuse me, what? Because curiosity is an emotion. Yeah, it was more like, seriously? You think this this reminds you of why we do what we do? It reminds me of why I hate my job. So thanks for that. And hate's an emotion, so whoops. Yep. And he figures it out after he has this conversation with DuPont, who's the guy that he's talking to. Because he goes, wow, you know, I've heard that you're really good at figuring out when people are feeling emotions. And John's like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty flash at it. I, I do okay. He's like, huh, yeah, how come you didn't notice your wife was feeling anything? It's weird, huh, how you don't notice when people close to you are feeling stuff. And then he's like, oh, shit, I think my partner's feeling things. And so he reviews the footage, and of course, Sean Bean actually is. And so he finds out he's been going out into the nether. Which they Every thought, night. Which they thought was enforcement related, but he's actually going to this picturesque abandoned church to read his magically expanding Yeats book of poetry. And actually, when they show a page, it's not even a Yeats poem. It's, it's not. Else. Yeah. Uh, and he reads a poem to him, which is about his dreams. And I, being poor, have only my dreams. I have spread my dreams, you know, 
beneath your feet. So tread softly because you tread on my dreams. And we're going to use this line one more time, a couple more times, but one more time DuPont uses this. And it really feels shoehorned in there. Like it yeah. was it was okay here, but later when we find out that really DuPont is father and has been for a long time. And he's trying to get John on his side because John just well, we'll get there, but John gets to him and he's like, Tread softly, John. You're treading on my dreams. And you're like, get the fuck out of here with that. It was really good. When this sad man who realized that his entire life had been spent killing people who didn't deserve to be killed, that was poignant. Right. You're an asshole. Get, don't, get, don't, don't quote Yates at me. But the first section of the movie is really kind of just slice of life for John. Part, for John. Right. Um, we aren't really moving the plot forward yet. We're just establishing what his life is like. Right. And how committed he is to doing his job. Yeah, because he kills his partner. Right there with the book in front of him. Which you see his body later during an autopsy and he got shot in the throat. Yeah, he Ouch. throat shoots him. Yeah, because Sean Bean holds the book up in front of him and John Preston shoots him through the book. And it's kind of cool. It's a cool scene. Yeah. This movie is, there's no wire work in this movie at all. Anytime you see people flying around, it's trampolines. And they actually did, like, a lot of when you see people get shot and it's just dust that was intended to be used for, like, blood clouds, but they ran out of money in post-production. <laughs> so they just left the dust. Um, but it's still effective. Yeah. It's still nice. Yeah, everything in this movie is, like, intense and interesting, and it moves. A lot of times right. now, well, I don't mind a pensive movie, but don't force it to be pensive. If you'd forced this movie to be pensive, it wouldn't have been good. Right, which this you could have. This is a turn your brain off and enjoy an action movie, and then when you're done, you feel good. And it knew that, and it didn't try to be anything else. And I think that's what makes it so good. And Christian Bale's really good in this movie. Mm -hmm. You really see where he's going to be Batman. Yes. Because this is very similar to the character that he is in Batman. Stoic, but passionate, and super, super good at shooting people. Although Batman never uses guns, but... He's super, super good at beating, beating the crap out of people. Beating the crap out of people. To the edge of death, but never over the edge. But it's not just... We also get some other really poignant lines. Like, he meets a sense offender at the very, in the first like slice of life section, whose name is Mary O'Brien. And her purpose is really to kind of... Give him something that he realizes he's feeling about. Because he misses his dose on accident. He knocks his dose off and it breaks. And, and he, he goes, doesn't have a backup. He doesn't have a backup. He goes to try to replace it. And this facility is closed for terrorist activity. Yeah, someone had bombed so he part of the supply chain. Doesn't have time to get another dose. Okay, whatever. I'll, I'll just, I'll catch up next time. And so he goes to arrest the sense offender. He spins her around so she can see herself. And yells at her. And yells at her, and then he sees himself Which in the mirror. Which his partner is kind of like, hmm. Yeah. Gives him a little side eye. Yeah, he sees himself and he sees her. And I think he is, one, aware of how angry he is, and two, aware of the fact that he's attracted to this woman. And it's like, oh shit, what just happened? Right, he probably thought, eh, I miss a dose. It's no big deal. Right. I have trained myself. I am a professional I am not susceptible to these kinds of overwhelming emotions. It'd be fine. Except that he is. And it's not fine. Right. Because immediately after that, he goes to see her. Because I think he's testing himself. And he wants to know if he's going to keep feeling that way when he sees her again. And he has this kind of poignant conversation with her when she's like, you don't know the meaning of the word friends. I don't even know why you're saying it. What is the point of your life? He's like, the point right. of my life is... What is your is, reason for living? Yeah, he, he says, the reason for my, my life, the reason for what I do is to keep this society moving, to keep life going for everyone around me. And she's like, it's circular. You exist to continue existence. What is the point? Why are you alive? And so he's like, oh, well, I can't really challenge that. So huh? what's the purpose for your life? She's like, to feel things, to love. And that's when she says, without love, without anger, without sorrow, breath is just a clock. 
And he's like, oh shit, that's a really good answer. He's like, oh god damn, I don't have a fight. I don't have a way to, but I can't, I can't. I don't have a way to rebuff that. So he leaves. So he leaves. And then we get our, these are the gun katas. We get, we always get these little like info dumps, but they're, because father is always on there's the screen in the background. massive propaganda. Yeah. There's always someone in the background talking about, talking about the society, talking about the clerics, talking about the tetragrammaton. And we actually do this cool thing with the guns where when they're firing, the muzzle flash is, looks like the tetragrammaton symbol. Oh, it does? Yeah. It's notice. like a, just to show how pervasive it is. In everything that's happening. The, the symbology? The symbology, exactly. I think the word you're looking for there is symbolism. <laughs> but then we get our, I love this scene, because they were like, how do we show that this man, what this man goes through, and how cold everyone else has become to life? Because we go out to the nether to defeat these sense offenders. And he ends up trying to save some of them. And they get shot anyway. No, that's well, later. This is, he, he stays, he ends up staying at the back of the pack. Right. And he's walking through and he finds a room and he puts on some music. And if you can imagine. Well, even before that. Yeah. Well, he takes his glove off. And he's like they're feeling fighting. the wall because he hasn't felt well, This anything. is even before that. Okay. He's in the hallway. Mm -hmm. There, all the. Police, I don't know what the what the other enforcers enforcers are called, whatever. The enforcers and his new partner go ahead and they're shooting all the feelers. And the feelers? <laughs> hey, I was trying to figure out the how to sense offenders? <laughs> <laughs> they gave you words for it. I know. I was anyway. Uh they they go out and shoot all the sense offenders, and he's staying back in the hallway behind his partner and then his partner's like cover me i'm going in yeah and somebody runs around the corner and grabs him and then his partner shoots him and he's like good catch preston and then this is his first day feeling oh yeah and he the guy he just like maintains eye contact with the guy as this guy just slumps to the ground and dies and then he just looks at the blood on his hands and he can't cope with it. Right. But luckily, he got left alone. Yeah. Nobody can see him having this breakdown. So then he kind of collects himself. And this is when he walks through with his glove off and notices the light coming through the wall. Right. And he finds this room that has all these items in it, like a Snoopy poster. It's really funny. If, if you have nothing, right, you live in beige land, beige land. Mm-hmm. Even a Snoopy poster becomes art because its color is something different. It's a cute character. It's an, a human invention based on human emotions. And, of course, what we play, he finds a record, and it's Beethoven, which he reads it. He goes, Ludwig von Beethoven. Beethoven. And then he puts it down. Well, he's never heard Beethoven's name. And so he puts it on the little record. Record player? Record player, vitriola, whatever. And he winds it up and it starts playing. Except it's quiet to begin with. And we get this cool shot where it zooms in on his eye. Right, and it then, starts playing and he just yeah. freezes. And we zoom in on his eye and we zoom in on his pupil. And then we transition to panning out from the black center of the speaker of the record player. Yeah, and it and, really invites the viewer to... Wonder what it would feel like to never have heard music before. And I always like those moments in movies where it's like, you have this thing you take for granted. Music. I put on a Spotify playlist every time I get in the car. But what if you couldn't? What if you didn't have that? What if you had never, ever listened to music again or before? Just like in Hondo, Future Folk. Future Folk is a really oh, yeah. great indie movie, indie sci-fi movie about a planet that has no music. And one of their generals comes here to wipe out life on Earth so that because they can they move here. Because they need a planet to go to because their planet's going to get destroyed. But he hears music and he can't destroy a planet that has music. And it's a, just so poignant. You don't, I mean, you know, music, of course, is everybody has their own taste, but it's this, it's, 
audible human emotion. It's a piece of being human. It's an audible human emotion, whatever that may be, whether it's audible lust or excitement or sadness. And so he is experiencing that for the first time. And Christian Bale really sells us on this because he ends up just collapsing in a chair. Right. He drops the snow globe. Yeah. It breaks and he cries. Because, yeah, he's overwhelmed. This is the first time, the first day of his life he's ever felt anything at all. And then he has blood on his hands and he realizes he literally and metaphorically has a lot of blood on his hands. And this is what he's been fighting against. And it was never anything that anybody should have fought against. And we get sold on that in this moment for sure. And now we're going to go on a journey with Christian Bale of what the fuck do I do? I don't want to go back to the way I was before, but I am literally like the head of this organization in charge of stopping people from being this way. He's the most senior cleric. Yeah. So what do I do? And he actually goes out and he's getting ready to go back to his car and he looks over and all these soldiers are gathered around this fenced area full of dogs. And they're like, you know, women and children died defending these things. We should put them down. What do they do with them? What's the point? Do they eat them? Because they don't need dog. Well, you don't need a dog if you don't feel anything. You can't love the dog. Then what's yep, the so point? They're, they're shooting the dogs in this pen. Yeah, and we get and all we hear this, is a gunshot and a yelp. And then you see Christian Bale jerking right, every time they e- do it. Every time they shoot, and, oof, he flinches. This part's hard. I mean, we're, we're cat people, but man, this part's hard. And then this little puppy. A puppy runs out and he grabs it. Yeah, they're like, catch it. It's getting away. So they grab this puppy. And he picks this puppy up exactly like you would if you had never, ever picked up a, a puppy right, before. Holding it far and holds away it straight out in front of him. And they're like, oh, okay, give it back. We'll go ahead and we'll put that one with the rest. And he tries to give it back, but then he's like, you know, wait, nope, I'm sorry. I- I'll take it. These but, should be tested for disease. <laughs> yeah. I- I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, I'm going to take it. I got to take it with me. And you're like, oh. Yeah, he God. just barely doesn't make a convincing excuse. I don't know if I could have forgiven this movie. If he'd let the puppy die, but he doesn't let the puppy die. Just so you guys know, dogs die off screen, but that puppy doesn't die. Right. This isn't the last time we're going to see this puppy, which, so you're going to find out what happens to it. Thank goodness. Cause I think if we just dropped the puppy, I'd have been like, what did he do with it? Where did it go? The puppy has a happy ending. Yeah. So he goes back and he's talking to DuPont again and he's like, listen, um, we're just shooting these people on site. I don't agree with that. Like they need to be brought back. Right, they need that's to have not a the trial. Law. That's not how the law goes. And DuPont's like, it's not the message that's important. It's our blind adherence to the message. Yeah. He literally says, not the message that's important, but our obedience to it. Oof. You know what I think I like about this movie? Because the whole the future people have given up emotions thing is it's done, right? It's a trope that we mm-hmm. all kind of, you kind of expect every once, every, every so often you get a movie about this. The Giver, this one. Um, there's another one with um, Kristen Stewart in it. But they're usually framed as um, romantic. Often it's romantic. You and someone you love go off the sauce together. And then you get right. to be, you get to be in love. And sort of, we have a love interest that is the catalyst for him doing this, but it's not framed that way. He ends up doing this as like, a, this is wrong. Human emotion is important for everyone. Right. It's like he inherently has a very strong sense of justice. Yeah. And that's what's getting tipped off here. Right. It's not, I need to protect this woman I love. It's not... People are being horrible people. It's, we've made a mistake. Yeah. And we need to walk this back. Like, feeling things is not wrong. And I've been killing people for doing something that is not wrong. And that's wrong. And that's, that's the wrong. wrong. That's the wrong right. part. But the next time we see this puppy is when he's trying to take it back out to the nether. When he goes in and he's talking to DuPont... About yeah. the what the law is, and we need to bring these people in and put them through the yeah the legal procedures, whatever. Is it the dog just in his trunk the whole time? 
Maybe. Or do you think there was a like continuity thing with how they edited it? I don't think that this is that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the dog doesn't exist until we see it again. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Yes, if the dog was in the trunk this entire time, his trunk would smell like dog defecation because the dog, poor little dog's been in there with no food and no water this whole time. But no, it's fine. If you don't see the dog, the dog has ceased existing. It's toddler rules. It's in stasis. It's in stasis. So he goes back out to the nether at night, just like his partner, Errol Partridge, used to do. Mm, Mm. Suspicious. And so he gets out there and he opens the trunk and the dog is there. And so he takes the dog out and sets it down. And he's like, And tries to shoo it away. Okay, now, dog, you go now. Bye, dog. Bye. Bye, bye, dog. Bye bye. And the dog's like, So he gets back in the car and we actually reuse some of the footage for the dog here. Like we see the same footage of the dog sitting by the car multiple times. And it's because the dog grew so fast that it grew too much during filming to keep using it. Oh. And so they had to. Like by the time they realized that they needed more shots of the dog. The dog had already grown too much. So they had to, uh, they had to just reuse footage. Wow. I think that's really cute. It happens at that age. Yeah, they grow fast. And so he ends up getting back out because he can't stand it. The dog is whining at the door. And so they he puts it back in the trunk and he puts his coat in the trunk with the dog. Because and he feels bad for the dog. So it'll have something to snuggle with. And then he shuts the trunk and he turns around and, oh, shit. An enforcer crew up. has yeah. snuck up on him. And they're like, hey, we're going to need your identification. He's like, you don't need to see my identification. <laughs> I'm not the cleric you're looking for. But his identification is in his jacket. And his jacket and is he in the And cannot get his jacket out. With the puppy that he just Oops, rescued. I forgot it at home. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah, weird thing. Left it at home. Will leave my head if it wasn't screwed on. So weird. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to have to search your car. So they search his car, which is fine. But they're like, okay, we need your keys so we can get into the trunk. And he's like, yeah, no. You don't need to get into my trunk. You don't trunk. need to get in my trunk. I'm, I'm, John, I'm John fucking Preston. And just as they're opening the, the trunk, the guy recognizes him. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah, you are John Preston. Like, I'm I am sorry so I sorry. I'm sorry I didn't recognize you, I'm sir. so sorry. But, of course, the dog is like, Friend. Just as they're all walking away. Yeah. the do- Yeah, because they opened the trunk. So the dog was like, Friend. Friend. Whoop, whoop. And so he gets caught with this dog. So then he has to kill a bunch of people. Uh, yeah, he does straight up slaughters them all. The entire crew. The entire Enforcer crew. Like eight or ten to people. To save the life of the puppy. Is he wrong? Because they would have killed the puppy. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What I love is how he's so sad about killing all these sense offenders. <laughs> but he straight up murders bunches of these Enforcers. No remorse. Yeah. I think that's why they're faceless. They all, They all have like a mask over their face. Because that way, we as viewers aren't like... Okay, but why are they? Why is it okay to kill all of them? And it's not okay to hang on. I hold, hold just a. I held my hand up in there like I had a question. Right, and from a certain perspective, all of the other enforcers are in the same situation that he was just in, yeah. like a day ago. Right, where it's not their fault that they haven't had this revelation. Yeah, they're all still like under the control of this society. And if they had that moment of emotional revelation, they'd probably be doing the same thing he's doing. Yeah. But that's but a, mm. he, he has to kill them. Yeah. We're never going to find out because he just straight up murders them all. Right. And which, so they are. An alternative might have been beating them and like keeping them captive somewhere yeah until their medication wears off but then where do they go he's just put a bunch of people in the the same boat he's in yeah but he doesn't know where the resistance is exactly right so at at some point that would be an alternative yeah and there's a famous i guess famous as famous as this movie is there is a infamous loophole plot hole here where later they're going to ask about who was responsible for the murders in the nether, who killed all these people. And he's like, oh, that, that was my partner, Brant. You can tell because it was his sidearm that did it. And he doesn't have his side. They're, the image that's used during that interrogation where he says that is an event that happens 
after the murders in the nether. So there's a part later where Brant hands him his gun and he hands back the gun. And so the assumption is they were swapped there. But I think he swaps them earlier because prior to the scene with the dogs, he's sitting on the roof of the car and he has both guns and he ends up like handing the gun to his partner, There's Brant. They're both holding their guns. They walk up to the car and then on the trunk of the car, they set their guns down while they're talking. And then Preston picks up the gun first. Yeah. But I think he picks up the other guy. Yeah. So I, I think his it's character's Brant. Name. Brant. Okay. So he, I think I at think this point. he picks point, up Brant's gun. Yeah. I think at this point he has Brant's gun. That makes sense. If yeah. you swap it there, it does. it's not a plot hole. It makes sense. Because at this point when he's committing these murders. He's, he's using Brant's gun. He's using Brant's gun. And then later when we have the moment where he tries to save some sense offenders, he tries to lead them out. And at this point, Brant has more or less figured out that he's, he's not on right, his he's side entirely anymore. He's just leading him along because there's an ulterior motive here. Yeah, he's manipulating him into... Uh, DuPont and Brant are manipulating Preston yes. into actually joining the resistance in order to expose them. Right, so they are trying to keep pushing him towards disillusionment with the government because that will cause him to keep find, trying to find the resistance so he can join it. And so they actually shoot these sense offenders that he was trying to save, but they invite him to do it. And so he, Brant, takes his sidearm out and hands it to Preston and says, here, use my gun. And Preston takes it with his right hand. Yeah, and then he hands it, the gun back with his left hand. Right. So he takes back his gun from... Brant, and then he gives Brant, or he, yeah, he gives Brant back his real gun. Okay. Does that make sense? So when the, in the earlier scene where they put their guns down, he swaps the guns, and mm-hmm. then in this moment he swaps them back. Right. So now he has the correct sidearm, and the other guy has the right. correct Brant sidearm. Has Brant's gun. Preston has Preston's gun. But in the meantime, Brant's gun has been used to kill a bunch of people. Right. So. That's that's how we put this thing together. That's how we kind of put that together. Oh, uh, it's okay. You know what? It's not that movie. Again, right. again, this is when we got stuck in that loophole on dead air where we were trying to figure out the timeline and it just didn't make sense. You know what? Just accept it. It's fine. It's one of those things. It's a contract between right, the viewer and the movie. It happened. It's accept g- it. good enough that later when they say, Oh, well, he, it was his, Brant's gun that was used, that there was actually something in the movie where there was an opportunity and, and the appearance that the gun was swapped. Okay. This is not a make or break. We don't need it to be explicitly exposed as like every gun in every specific place is clearly identified visually. Right. It doesn't make or break the movie. Right. So... It's fine. It doesn't really matter. But we, we kind of go through all these things. He ends up joining the resistance um, because he meets with Mary O'Brien again, and he realizes that her and Errol Partridge, his Sean were B, together. were together. And he finds a picture of them together, and on the back is written Freedom. And you'd think this was code for something, but no, it's straight up just there's a room called Freedom. <laughs> it's like the Freedom Library. <laughs> He's like, oh, maybe that's it. So he goes in there and... He immediately realizes that the dude running whatever class is going on in here is part of the resistance. Part of the resistance. And so And that the wall that says do not touch is uh, like a door. Yeah, and so he throws the guy through it. Which makes whatever. it hard to conceal the anyway. So it turns out the underground is literally underground. Like legit underground underground. He's <laughs> <laughs> like welcome to the underground. Oh, it's There's actually like two flights of stairs going down. Okay, great. Okay, that's pretty on the nose, but that's okay. Yeah. Trying to remember the name of the leader of the resistance. It's um, Jürgen. Jürgen. (laughs) And I was like, oh, look at Jürgen. Yeah, the guy who's running the resistance basically explains like, yes, feeling is good. Yes, we all have the right to feel. But paradoxically, you have to learn to control your emotions and for some of us, we have to not feel to get done what needs to get done. 
so that other people can feel more deeply. Right. Oh, okay. And so what they want him to do is kill father. And the way they're going to get him to father is if he turns in the underground. Right. So this, I mean, plot happens here. I don't know. It's okay. We meet his kids a couple of times and we end up finding out that his kids are because their mother was taken away and killed. They had already stopped taking the medication. So they're one big happy family, one big feeling family, one big happy family. But and he's kind of happy about that. And he ends up giving the dogs to his kids, which is dog to his kids, which is implied later. But this is my favorite part in the movie, and every time I think about watching this, this part to the end is my favorite part, because he goes to try to save Mary O'Brien, and it doesn't work. So he just sprints. So he sprints all the way there to try to keep her from being incinerated, but because of a plot device, they can't open the incineration chamber up. She's got to go. Right. And so they just watch each other. They just watch each other. Why can't I say that? <laughs> Do you need a drink? No, my tongue like my went at a weird angle. We just watch each other. So they just end up watching each other through this little window as she gets incinerated. Yeah, and it's really sad. And it's so sad. He runs out and like falls down crying and weeping on the ground. Yep. Silent screaming. Yeah, and Brant shows up and he's like, I told you I was going to make my career with you, Cleric. And, and he then, takes him to DuPont. No, he doesn't take him right to DuPont. Hold on. What? He parades him through crowded rooms. I told you I was going to, you know, catch this whatever. Yeah. But and he like throws him down on the ground to humiliate him. Yeah. And gloats above him very, very emotively <laughs> and then takes him to DuPont. Right. And this is the part where he's like, well, you know, you'll find out. You just search his sidearm. You'll find that he was the one responsible for the, for all the deaths in the nether. And they're like, oh, you mean the one that was done with your gun? That one? And he actually pulls his gun out and he looks at it and it says Preston on the bottom. And he's like, no, no, this is wrong. This isn't my gun. And John is like, yeah. It's Preston you, switched the guns. He's like, yeah, it's because you took it from me when you arrested me. Of course you had my gun. You yeah. took it when you arrested me. Yeah. But I'm so this is where the gun thing comes from, but, but we've already we've already discussed it, so we're just gonna whoop 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 keep moving. And so what it turns out is John Presto does this with John Preston does a switch out change out here. He's like, see, I got him. That guy's right there. That guy right there, he's in charge of the resistance. Brant. I told you I would bring the man responsible. Like I told you. This was he all has a this ploy. whole speech that he delivers. And he very stands deadpan. up totally deadpan. Like I was just weeping as a it was, was all a ruse. It was all a ruse. I was drawing him out. And so Brant gets arrested, and he's like, I'm going to bring you the resistance, and then I'm going to get to meet Father, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, nobody gets Absolutely. to meet Father. But maybe if you got us the resistance, you could. And right. so he ends up turning in Jurgen, Jurgen, and a bunch of other people in the resistance because yeah. they're making the sacrifice so that he can get close enough to Father to kill Father. Right, and they've already made plans that once Father is dead... They'll uh, explode all these bombs that have already been planted. Yeah, they're gonna, they're blowing up the prosium factories because they, all they have they to only, do right. is disrupt supply for one day, and then human nature will win the Everybody war. Everybody will be converted. Yeah, and this is the part where he puts on the white suit. And as soon as I see him in the white suit, I'm like, oh yeah, shit's about to go down. Because he, <laughs> I guess he formal had this, wear is for when things are serious. <laughs> I guess he had this sword. And you see him holding the sword the whole time when he's walking. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to have this sword sewn on so that he could like rip the whole thing off. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't get the stitching correct. So it's not attached to anything. The reason he's holding it the whole time is because otherwise it's not on his belt. It's literally just mm. in his hand and he's holding the, the belt and his sword to make it look like they're all together. Gotcha. Because it's only on screen for like two minutes. They were like, oh, right. never mind. It's, we're taking too much time to get this to work. Just hold it. It's fine. And <laughs> during some of the riot scenes, they have that big tank thing. And it's actually like a tug from an airport that they use to move planes around. Okay. And they painted it. And they only had one of them. But every time they would use it, they would change the numbers on the side to make uh, it look like they had a whole fleet of them. I thought that was really clever. clever. Good way of using a small budget to do something that makes it feel bigger budget. Yeah. But he has to get a polygraph. 
And this is my favorite scene. They because put him it down. detects human emotions. Right. So they put him down in this polygraph. And then they give him the big reveal. The reason we did everything that we did is because we knew the only way to get the resistance was to have somebody that thought like them. So we needed you. We needed you off Prosium so that you could get into the resistance, so that you could deliver them to us, thinking you were doing the right thing, but really you were just playing into our hands the entire fucking time. Because he says, what's the best way to get a weapon away from a cleric? Ask him for it. Ask him for it. Because he has to surrender his weapon to go see Father. And boy, were they asking for it. Right. And the when the little like polygraph needle stops moving and just goes When he still, finally realizes the situation that he's gotten himself into. Yes. And the polygraph needle Boom. goes completely still. And the one guy goes, oh, shit. Right. But it beeps. <laughs> it's like, hold on. No, it's Th- fine. That's it's like, just to push the like drama up right now. It's okay. okay. It's fine. Don't just accept so it. So does his heart stop? No, just his emotions. Because well, he like, goes completely snip- like... Snipers can actually delay their heartbeats. Yeah. Maybe he just goes full, like, deadline, like, focus. Maybe. To the point that his heart actually stops so that he can just take in everything. Yeah, he definitely goes into his, like, battle mode. Battle mode activate. Because then he stands up and he just... Pushes his hands down and these guns shoot out of his sleeve. <laughs> he has these tight sleeves on. There's absolutely no way. He has both a gun and a gun right, dispensing the, the mechanism. Grip, the grip of the gun would not fit in his sleeve. <laughs> but it does. Just anyway. accept it. Because he just shoots these guns out, grabs them, and then just starts killing everybody. And he kills everybody in the room he's in. And then he goes around the corner and he throws a reload down so that it's halfway through the room. And they're they're weighted and curved on the bottom, so they're always sticking up. Right. And then he goes in and starts shooting everybody. And as soon as he runs out of ammo, he tips his guns forward and new magazines <laughs> come, out of, <laughs> come out of his sleeve and reload the guns. And then he just keeps shooting people. And then halfway through, he runs out of those. So he does like he slams his guns down on the reloads that he'd already thrown in the room. And then when he pulls them and up, he shoots all of those bullets. When he pulls them up, those giant weighted rounded bottoms are gone. Yep. They're not they're just gone. And then he kills everybody. And then he shoots through. Oh, he runs well, out of those bullets. And then he does like a kick, like a kick flip, gets a rifle from off the ground. But and then, it, like, comes up behind him and spins. Yeah, it spins like, over it, his it shoulder. It looks really cool. It does. And then he shoots through the wall and kills the guards on the other side of the wall. Because, of course, they're standing on either side of, of the door. <laughs> and this is Father's super secret chamber. But it's Why was Father's super secret, like, central room... Not protected by bulletproof doors. That's exactly what I was about to say. Why are there not metal walls here? Um, But he just goes through the door and, oh, snap, it's a pretty room. It's got color on the walls, got a crystal chandelier. It invokes a lot of emotion. Certainly does. And you find out that father's been dead. Father died long ago. And DuPont is effectively father. And... He's off. He's fine. He uses, and they just he do doesn't a deep use fake prosium. to do the yeah. facial replacement. Yeah, deep fake, exactly. And that Brant was on his side the whole time. And Brant and DuPont are in this room. And he he gets surrounded by guards again. And he's out of bullets. But, but then they all have swords. Yeah, so all they did was bring the weapon he was going to kill them with. Right. Because he just steps back, grabs the sword from the guy behind him, draws it, and then kills everybody. Oh, and we totally missed the scene where he pistol whips a whole bunch of people to death. That's way earlier. Yeah, that was when he was trying to help some of the sense offenders escape. Yeah. There's so many cool little action scenes, like pockets of cool action, where he kills people in very inventive ways. (laughs) These poor people, they're just as lost and confused as he is. But I just kind of forget about that. So he kills all these people with the swords. And then... Um, Brant comes out and he's like, oh, okay, well, it's time for you to fight with right. the and big he, boys. He flourishes his sword. This is going to be a big showy sword fight between the two of them like they had in the training room. Yeah, he goes full Indiana Jones on him and he just, whoop, one slash kills him. Yep. 
Three. Three slashes. Oh, yeah. He does slash slash to cut off his gun holsters and then one up across yeah, and the he goes, face. And then he like falls to his knees, turns his head to the side, and half of his face slides off. Which I guess they did this because um, Tay Diggs had scheduling conflicts, so he couldn't be there. Oh, so they couldn't have a long sword fight. They literally had him for like an hour. This works way better anyway. Yeah, because you're tired. I mean, it's good. Like you're excited. You're happy for all. I'm not happy, but you know, your your little action heart is engaged up until this point. And but if we'd had to have giant gun battle, sword fight followed by a long drawn out sword fight, man. And then he has a gun kata pistol fight. With Dupont, Dupont, who is apparently also well, he's the skilled. head of the, he's the head right, of but the. He's clerks. a politician. Oh, yeah, well, and he shoots. Anyway, him. this is when he's like, "You're stepping on my dreams, Preston." So Preston just shoots him, and then he walks over to the window, and you see explosions start happening all over the place. Oh no, he walks into that room, and he starts shooting out these screens. Yeah, and that's like that's that's not. You're, you're just shooting he's the like, display. He, you can't like, just break the display surface. The those the, it's like those videos are running off a server somewhere else. It's like shh, there's some shh. data center somewhere no. that all these videos are streaming from. No, there's not. There's just these. This one room with all these monitors, and he breaks the monitors, and that's sufficient. Okay. And okay, somewhere- if these are all in one computers, okay, fine. But then, is their infrastructure so brittle? Apparently, well, nobody feels motivated to make it better because nobody's mad about how bad it. Nobody's like, man, this is shit. (laughs) They're like, well, this is the way it is. And since I take prosium, I don't give a shit. So, yes, it's just that good. As Matt pointed out halfway through when he went off on a philosophical tangent about how you can't have consciousness without emotion. Well, you can't improve infrastructure if you don't give a shit about it. They're in, um, in the book Seven Eves, the... I don't want to like explain all that, but one of the characters delivers a line, something like depression and anxiety have value in a society because they bias certain people towards imagining worst case scenarios. And you need some people in a group to imagine worst case scenarios. So that way they and the rest of the group can prepare adequately for the worst-case scenarios. And you can't really design robust technical infrastructure without imagining worst-case scenarios. And if nobody is depressed or anxious, you're not able to effectively imagine worst-case scenarios. I mean, it's not like they had a meeting where they were like, okay, so just assuming on the off chance one of our clerics goes rogue, and is running around the building shooting people. Will he be able to disable our propaganda network by just walking into a room and shooting a bunch of people? Shooting shooting some screens. LCD screens. And they were like, that's never going to happen. It's fine. Don't worry about it. But what if the resistance blows up part of the building? Look, you've worked at these companies, the ones that are like, it works. It, it's the same reason that when they finally retired the space shuttles we were buying 1985 computer equipment off of ebay to repair them because the 1980s computers worked and they knew they worked and they had no bugs and so they couldn't update them or wouldn't update them because the chances of failure were too high right well if it's working you're not going to make it more robust because the uh, the risk of something new making it bad right and nobody's generating new propaganda Right, clearly. Because that's a creative endeavor. You have to feel emotions to do that. Yeah, clearly, because Father has been dead, and they haven't told anybody, and they're just using his old... There's even a podium that he's supposedly standing at. And it's just a hologram. And it's just a hologram. But that's the end of the movie. His love interest dies to prove the situation is serious. He kills the leader of the free world, the leader of the country, and then they blow up all the factories that produce the stuff. And then... The resistance runs in and starts killing everybody. <laughs> and then you're going to have the this. Killing all the poor enforcers. You're going to have this entire society, probably a few hundred thousand people, maybe millions, who have the emotional maturity of a four year old. Yeah. This is going to go real good. How's this going to go? Real, real good. 
Maybe they should have weaned people off in sections. Maybe they just get everybody to feel and then they say, okay, now take like a smaller dose. Yeah. Just, just so you can keep your cool. Yeah. And so everybody's not immediately raw dogging the world. <laughs> Absolutely. Good thing everything's beige. Cause you, can you imagine everybody waking up all at once? It'd be wild. You couldn't even get anybody to go to work. They'd yeah. be like, fuck you, I'm not going to work. Yeah, everything would, society would collapse, infrastructure would fall apart, and there's nothing, there's nothing to step into the gap because he dismantled the entire system that previously. Right, he psychologically crippled every member of this society. <laughs> but, but there was some really cool gun battles, and he was able to reload from his sleeves. And he did the right thing. Yeah, he did the right thing. It was like ripping off the Band-Aid. There'll be war for a little bit, but it'll all shake yeah. out. But yeah. sometimes there's a right way to do the right thing. And then we'll end up in Vesper, where you have a post-apocalyptic society where you have one douchebag dude who runs a town and has to be a douchebag dude to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. One follows the other, I guess. I like one maybe, trope. I maybe don't like Vesper is the future of the equilibrium world. Oh, we should have watched them in the other direction then. Oof. Not Vesper and then equilibrium. Dang it. Anyway. <laughs> I like this movie. Yes. It's just entertaining. Rewatch, it's great. We haven't rewatched it in a while, but every time I do watch it, I'm like, it's a good movie. It's a very enjoyable movie to rewatch. Yeah. Because you- the plot's so predictable. Yeah. The thing you're in it for is the just the visuals and the extremely well executed action scenes. Right. This gives me like John Wick one vibes. Right. There's, there's no real deep moral. No. The deepest moral here is there's a puppy. Emotions are necessary. There's a puppy and all the shit shakes out because the puppy, well, in John Wick gets killed, but in this one doesn't get killed. But the puppy is the catalyst for all the action. (laughs) I mean, what better reason does anybody have than a puppy? And the puppy has a happy ending with the most probably emotionally mature children in the entire world. Yeah, because they've had emotions for four years now. Except for the sense offenders who've been living by themselves. Like Jürgen right, and his people. Right, but they successfully controlled themselves around their dad, whose job it was to kill people who were right. feeling emotions. Yeah. But anyway, this gives me John Wick vibes because you knew John Wick was going to survive the entire movie. I mean, even when shit got dire, you were like, this movie is named John Wick. He's not dying. You knew John Preston was going to figure it out. Right. No matter what situation he got in, no matter how dire, he was going to find his way out. And you just wanted to know how and how many people he was going to kill him in the meantime, which it turns out is like 119 of the total <laughs> 239. So, Yeah. <laughs> There's a part at the end where he's shooting everybody in that room, and it reminds me of that scene from Hot Shots Part Two, when he's shooting everybody, and the little body count car- counter comes oh, yeah. on the bottom, and it's like more than Terminator, yeah, and they, more they than start Rambo, just quick, quick cutting in between different scenes. Yeah, and it's like, like montaging, ding, 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 as it's moving up. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. And once I saw that, that became a lot more comic than probably a scene where you're just shooting a bunch of people should really be. Maybe it's because by the end of it, well, they had run out of production money, so there's not a lot of blood at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's a good movie. We enjoyed it, obviously. Yeah. Liked it better than Vesper. Poor Vesper. Uh, I think this movie, we like this, we like movies that know what they are and just lean into it. Right. Just accept the fact that this is a purely entertaining gun battle action movie with gun kung fu. Gun Kung Fu. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Yeah. We're doing pretty good on Instagram. We got like 140 followers. Well, we did today. I don't know. Maybe they're all going to go away. Who knows? <laughs> I'm still waiting yeah. for every, I'm still waiting for it all to peter out and to be like, no, no, come back, everybody, come back. Uh, but they haven't yet. So that's good. And if any, if some of those people want to saunter on over to the Patreon and join it, you can. I have a dollar tier. What's a dollar? Plus, we had our very first Patreon-only episode, and we're about to have our next Patreon-only episode, which I'll talk about more when we get it all finished. And we're on YouTube now. One video at a time. One video at a time. At Strange and Beautiful Network. Right. 
Strange and Beautiful Network on YouTube. And I'm actually up to six videos now, I think. Ooh, mm-hmm. you're moving right along. Yep. I'm taking all the old episodes and putting them up. And they just have a still image because I can't, I can't go back and film you that. You put little animations in. Oh, yeah. There's like a title. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. I've done some video stuff, but mostly it's just us talking. But hopefully pretty soon here, we're going to start actually recording ourselves. So that should be interesting. In high def. Yeah, because you'll get to see all of my weird hand motions while I'm talking. And you'll find out why Matt smacks the microphone so much. So if you're curious about that, you should go over and subscribe to the YouTube because you're going to find that out pretty soon. Well, that's about it. Yeah. So remember... Sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye! Bye.